I'm Damian Bolwa, Managing Editor of The Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, a Chronicle tradition naming the top 100 restaurants in the Bay Area is getting a coronavirus makeover. Our food critic and top 100 captain, Solejo, is here. She'll tell us about the latest list, which came out today at sfchronicle.com slash top restaurants. She'll talk about what it means amid the pandemic and why there are actually only 88 restaurants on this year's top 100. Soleil, it is wonderful to podcast over Zoom again with you. It's been so long, maybe too long. We should talk some more. I really enjoy it. I know. I, I, I think the last time we spent a lot of time together and maybe we can talk about it. We, you actually took me to one of the top 100 restaurants, which I will never forget. <laughs> I know. A, an hours long dinner feels like a universe ago, right? It just doesn't make sense anymore. And I'm glad we got to do it before the world ended. I know. Me too. All right. So everybody looks forward to the top 100 restaurant Soleil. I know that it's a huge project. A ton of pressure. A lot of people want to know who's on the list. But first off, there's not 100. There's 88. What happened? Yeah. So I filed the top 100 in February, actually, before all this stuff hit the fan. And, you know, I spent the past few months just updating the list, making sure, you know, everything changed. Everything changed for every single restaurant on the list. And some of those restaurants ended up closing or you know, temporarily or permanently. So we decided, myself and the food editor, Serena Dye, decided that we were going to not replace the ones that closed, but we still wanted the list to be useful to people. So we decided we would just take them off the list, but have them be in a sub list. So they would still be recognized for the work they did in 2019 and early 2020. But, you know, you can't get anything from them, really, that is the same as what it was before. So... They're just going to be in their own zone for this year. I think it's perfect. I mean, another mark of the pandemic and the 88 restaurant list, it could only be that way. But people think of restaurants closing, or at least, okay, maybe me, in my ignorance, I always think of restaurants that are really struggling and suck close. Um, but a lot of restaurants close that were really at the top of their game? Yeah. Well, you know, if you think about the Michelin star system, which recognizes the Michelin guide recognizes the best, like the top of the top restaurants around the world, about 14 to 15 percent of the Michelin starred restaurants in the United States are open right now. And that's wow. just during the pandemic. Right. So it's not necessarily because they're bad that they closed. It's just because the the economic status of businesses in the U.S. right now is so precarious. It's so fragile, especially with restaurants, which are built on a very fragile model already, that so many great places, classic places, really lauded places have had to close just to survive or they, you know, to make rent so they don't have to pay for labor or ingredients or all that stuff. It's just so complicated. All right. I want to get to some of the particulars of the list. But first, um, You've been here. This is your second, correct me if I'm wrong, top 100? Yes. So for people who've really enjoyed the list over the years, I know I know, I have when I was a much younger man, um, used to try to knock down at least some of the restaurants on the list um, and try to get in. But tell us about how you, you changed the list a couple of years ago. You really kind of expanded it and brought in not just, you know, very formal, um, certain types of, of cuisine, 
um, but taquerias and barbecue joints and others. And why was that important to you? Well, to be fair, Michael Bauer, the previous critic, did put La Taqueria on the list, I think, in 2018 and maybe some years prior. But yes, for this iteration of the top 100, I guess my take on what makes a restaurant great is really individual. It's really, I guess I have to say millennial, too. I'm very much a product of my of generation and my time. And for me and I think people that are like me, we go out to eat not just to celebrate or not just to have a big blowout, but also just as a way to experience something new, experience something exciting and delicious. And that's not necessarily the French laundries of the world. We might go there maybe once in a lifetime, but there are also some really great neighborhood spots, stalwarts, uh, classic restaurants, really informal, casual restaurants that are also really, really, really amazing that make extraordinary food that are also worth recognizing. All right, let's take a, our first peek into the list here. Soleil, who is new? Who are some of the best new additions? Oh, gosh. Um, one of my favorite places actually is this taqueria in Hayward. Um, which, you know, I think that's, again, that part of the East Bay has historically not really been recognized by the top 100. So first of all, that part is really exciting to me. Second of all, it's called Los Carnalitos. It is owned by two brothers and they make food that reflects the cuisine of Mexico City. So a lot like Cala in in the theater district in San Francisco, but it's more informal. They make huaraches, which are these delicious, long, oval masa cakes just topped with like huitlacoche, which is corn fungus, and nopal, which is cactus. It's so delicious. Their quesadillas are gigantic and delicious. Um, I keep saying delicious because everything is so good. There's nothing that is bad on their menu. Gorditas, amazing. And right now they're doing a really robust takeout game. And I really enjoy just eating their food on the hood of my car anyway. So it just worked out really well during the pandemic, at least as far as that restaurant. Um, other places include Horn Barbecue, which actually was a really popular pop-up for a long time. You know, you would wait for two, three hours to get some brisket from this guy, from Matt Horn. It was just extraordinary. It's so perfect with the most crackly bark on the outside of the brisket and so well-spiced. He actually happened to be opening a brick-and-mortar restaurant the week of Top 100, so included some details about the new restaurant as well. But the his merit came from the pop-up. Like, that was really what won me over. But I'm so excited for his restaurant as well. There's another place in the East Bay called Beloti, which is really beloved by people in the East Bay as well. It's this Italian spot by a chef from Bergamo, Italy. The most wonderful handmade pastas, just the most incredible agnolotti, which is stuffed with all kinds of meats, so many meats. It's like Noah's Ark in this pasta. And it's just so ephemeral and just wonderful. They have a really great um, takeout delivery business out of their sort of retail spot, Belotti Bottega. And you can buy like a like a lasagna for 20 people from there. It's just fantastic. All right, well, you know that people will dive into this list and make special trips across the Bay Area. So I sort of wondered whether you warn any of these restaurants <laughs> that's about to appear um, or do they just, you know, click on it like everyone else? 
Well, I think historically they're not warned in advance, although this year is different because I had already done all my information gathering before and then I had to do it again. So at that point, I think it's pretty obvious like what's happening. So they've had a few months of lead time to at least come to grips with the fact that they would be in the top 100. So I've known, though, in the past that whenever I cover places, they tend to sell out really quickly or they tend to get just mobbed by crowds of foodies and people who want to try their stuff. So I understand that. And hopefully they'll be <laughs> they'll be ready. But I think this year in particular, they'll really appreciate the extra business. I think any restaurant that gets recognized or any co- coverage by us right now would appreciate the business. All right. So that that's the new. Tell me about the restaurants that you probably heard about when you came to the Bay Area, the stalwarts that actually live up to the hype and remain on the list. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, honestly, there weren't a lot of those. (laughs) I don't know if that's too shady, but (laughs) certainly there are a lot of places. And that's the risky thing, right? When you tell someone that you like a place or you love a movie and you see them watch the movie and then they just like their face falls because they hate it and you, you're you just so embarrassed, right? For me, I think there are a lot of these classic restaurants that they feel like you're entering a cult sort of when you go and you're just like, <laughs> oh, I see, I get it, okay. For me, that was a place like Nopa, for instance, in the neighborhood Nopa, which they kind of gentrified, uh, but... It's a wonderful, like, wood-fired um, restaurant. They have a, the best burger, I think, in the city. And it's a late-night place that's really beloved by cooks and chefs and restaurant people around the Bay Area. And I was skeptical because it was, you know, one, like, oh, Nopa. The, the name is, you know, a, a conjunction of North of the Panhandle. It's so trendy, blah, blah, blah. But I really, really liked it. My mind was blown when I went there. And the service was wonderful. They were not what I expected at all. You're almost like apologizing for enjoying it. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I'm always trying to be I'm aware of of my own interior biases, right? I'm, I'm always a little bit skeptical of places that people say are really cool. And then when I really enjoy it, I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm as corny as I think other people are then. All right. Soleil, let's take a quick break. Again, we're talking about the top 100 restaurants in the Bay Area. The story came out today at sfchronicle.com slash top restaurants. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa. I'm joined by Salejo, our food critic, who's just published this year's top 100 restaurants, actually top 88, because sadly 12 of them closed. Soleil, let's talk a little bit about pandemic changes. Um, A lot of restaurants now you are reviewing by getting takeout um, or sitting in the patio, correct? How, how has that changed your job? Yeah. I mean, previous to this, I would have said that getting takeout and judging a restaurant based on that would have been extremely unfair and just not representative of what the restaurant is doing. But now it is, for many, it's the only thing they're doing. That's all you can check out. So I've had to change my standards a little bit. Um, Not to say that they've lowered, but more just, okay, how do you apply any sort of rigorous set of criticisms or commentary or thoughts on something that comes in a box? And how do you think about a restaurant when your interaction with a server or a host is maybe 
10 seconds as opposed to over the course of a whole night. I think that is really interesting. Um, and I think for many restaurant critics, it's presented a real existential crisis this year. Not this, you know, you don't have to take out the world's smallest violin for us. It is, we are still in the best job ever, but it certainly has made us question like the point of our jobs. It's become so much more urgent now, however, because of how how much suffering is happening in the restaurant industry, how much it matters for them to get recognition and coverage for the work they're doing because they're working under such just awful, awful circumstances. So balancing those concerns is part of the job, I think. And that's the reason why I wanted to come out with the Top 100 at all this year. We could have just skipped it, much to you know the chagrin of many people, but we could have skipped it and probably not been that much worse for the wear. But at the same time, that sort of credit, that sort of accolade means so much right now, you know? I think readers are really going to enjoy looking at the list because you've you've got all these, these restaurants, these great pictures that always come with it that are so fantastic. But then in describing them, you talk a lot about what they've done since the pandemic. So I kept seeing words like pre-orders and pivots and <laughs> meal kits with instructional videos and preheated pizzas. And um, <laughs> by the way, unfair that you're a chef. And so when, when I see um, that I have to do something at home, um, that is just mortifying, but obviously I think um, a little e easier for you. But um, so I wanted to get into that for these restaurants that are pivoting. Um, I'll put you on the spot a little bit. Who has the best patio that you've been at so far? Oh, gosh. Um, there have been so many really great ones. And for me, what constitutes best also includes safety measures. Like how how well do they take care of their guests and keep them from making mistakes that could hurt other people, first of all? Um, and I guess how how secure do they make you feel? And then there's, of course, like how do they cater the menu to the patio, right? Because we live in the Bay Area where it's really breezy. And so salads with all kinds of things on top aren't going to do so well because everything's just going to fly off in the wind. And food that will suffer a lot from getting a little bit chilly is not going to do well either because of all of the all of the stuff that happens. So the best patio, you know, the thing is, too, I haven't been eating at that many patios, but I have ah. surveyed many of them <laughs> as part of my work uh, just because of my comfort level with that sort of stuff. But I appreciate that people do it. And it's really important for the economy. Um, but I will say the patio that I appreciate the most, actually, is the one outside of old Mandarin Islamic Chinese in the outer sunset, because they're known for their Beijing-style lamb hot pot, which is, you know, a boiling vessel full of broth, and you eat delicious hunks of meat, and you scoop it out and eat it over rice and all that stuff. And it's a kind of dish that does not do well with takeout. It, you cannot deliver it. It does make no sense. So what they did was they built this outer patio on this little parklet and they built up these vinyl barriers on the outside so that the winds, the harsh winds coming off of the ocean would not interfere with your hot pot. So the level of care that they put into that, I really appreciate. Nice. Okay. That's, that's patio dining. Who among restaurants that cost a lot is actually doing a great job with the, with the takeout? So for a while, single thread 
was doing amazing, amazing takeout. So they're a restaurant up in Sonoma County. And they, in the past, they've done a lot of relief work with fires and helping people get fed who were displaced, you know, farm workers and other people up there. And this year, they used that same mechanism, that same process to make food for people in the community. So, you know, their their menus are usually like 300-ish maybe per person, I want to say. And their tasting menus are like three hours long. It's this whole process. But for a while, they were just doing sort of these, these coursed out packages of food that were inspired by various cuisines around the world that they were that they were fans of. So I had this really great Kyoto-inspired meal there. It was all in a bag. It was so beautiful and full of wonderful treatments and ingredients. And I was astounded that takeout could be like that. <laughs> and it not, was fairly affordable cheap, for them. Though. Oh, it was. Yeah, well, for them. <laughs> it, you know, it was a, a dinner for four for, I think, around $125. Okay, all right. So, I mean, that's reasonable. For them, yes. Yeah, so I loved that. I thought that was really, really, really creative and cool. They're not doing it now. They're now serving outdoors at a vineyard, which is great for them, but sad for me. So what surprised you the most in putting together this year's list? Honestly, maybe this is a dark answer, but what surprised me the most was just when I checked back in a few months after Shelter in Place, what surprised me was the number of restaurants that were still open. It's not that proportional. I would say, you know, losing 12% of our restaurants on the list is a pretty low number compared to how many restaurants are at risk of closing forever or have already closed because of this pandemic. So I was really surprised by that. The fact that there are just so many folks who are trying so hard to hang on and serve the community and pay their workers and just make sure that these enterprises could stay open and serve as the the gathering places of the Bay Area, but also really good places to work for people. Because, you know, so many people got laid off in the restaurant industry and they have nothing to rely on, nothing to live off of. And the fact that these places have stayed open to to lessen that burden was really hopeful for me. So I guess in a way it started as a dark answer, but it made me feel optimistic that that maybe we'll get through this with a little bit of our soul intact. All right. Can we do a quick lightning round? Yes, I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. What is your favorite pizza? Okay. My favorite pizza is at Square Pie Guys in Soma. It is the Detroit style pizza and the crust is encrusted with, with melted cheddar cheese. And I'm a cheese freak. So that's what I'm about. Okay, sushi? Sushi Yoshizumi in San Mateo. Burger, you mentioned Nopa, but is that the bur- best burger in the Bay Area? I think Nopa is the best chefy burger, which I would argue is like the bigger one that's topped with all these fancy ingredients and house-made pickles and all that stuff. The best, I think, grody burger, <laughs> um, I think, is Beep's Burgers. All right, and how about the best place to get oysters and other seafood? I would say... Spud Point in Bodega Bay. Mm, good choice. Now, is that the little place by the harbor where you can get the crab sandwich? Yes. Oh, I love that place. Okay. <laughs> That's very close to my heart. Uh, and are you still a, a Feralito connoisseur for the burrito or have you switched allegiances? 
<laughs> well, I really, really love Feralito, especially because they're on the list. Um, but I would say that I have started to really come around to breakfast burritos, especially the ones at Breakfast Little in the Mission. Mm, good choice. All right. They put tater okay. tots in the burritos, so it's oh. really important. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. All right. Before I let you go, Soleil, do you have any advice for people who pick up this list and think to themselves that I need to uh, hit all of them um, <laughs> or at least or at least some of them and feel like uh, there's a bit of a game in this? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think this year it'll be a lot easier because there's fewer. But I would also say that pacing yourself is great. Don't do more than one tasting menu a week or you will die. And I would say just don't discount the East Bay. Um, there are so many really, really great places outside of Oakland and outside of Berkeley that are worth going to and checking out. So maybe start there if you want to refresh your palate. There's so much great, great, great stuff out there. All right. Soleho, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. To read the Chronicle's Top 100 Restaurants, 88 this year, go to sfchronicle.com slash top restaurants. The list will appear in this Sunday's print edition as well. Thanks to my guest today, our food critic, Salejo, to Taya Francesca Price for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.